0: love it and welcome back. Today's message is understanding the statue of Daniel chapter 2. So just some background. The book of Daniel is written about 530 years before uh, Jesus was even born. So about 2,500 or so years ago. It's really an amazing book. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, they tie in together a lot. A lot of the same or, or very similar prophecies when you're talking about. Uh, eschatology, study of the end times thing. And so we're going to be making a video today on uh, Daniel chapter 2. The first prophecy is about a statue or an image that King Nebuchadnezzar had built. Um, After this video, we're going to make a video explaining the four beasts of Daniel, you know, the lion, the bear, the leopard, um, and how they reveal in Daniel, the final beast uh, spoken about in Revelation, the kingdom of the Antichrist. Uh, this video, though, this about the statue and this prophecy really lays the framework for uh, understanding other prophecies in Daniel and Revelation. And then I have highlighted here the Bible builds on itself. It really needs to be studied, um, especially if you want to have any sort of confidence in it, specifically if you're preaching. But even just for uh, knowing and understanding and and helping us to understand scripture, the Bible really builds on itself, especially when you're talking about prophecy. Um, The first coming of Jesus, God built it up in many ways in many different prophecies. And eschatology, the second coming of Jesus. The Bible just builds and builds on itself. And when you see the Lord saying the same thing over and over again in different ways, you begin to have more and more confidence in it. Um, Just one Bible verse before we get started. Jesus says, the most important commandment, Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your passion, all your desire, all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, And I want to key in on that mind there. The way we love the Lord uh, with our mind is by really dedicating uh, ourselves to study the Bible and learn the scripture. So this stuff is complex, but it's not rocket science. I'm sure many of the things that you guys do in your daily walks or your job, you have to devote more of your mind to it than you will to have to understand both Daniel and Revelation, right? It's a lot to study, but it's not impossible. I think the world kind of has sold people a lie that you can't have a comfortable understanding of Daniel and Revelation. I'm not saying you're gonna know everything or have it perfect, um, but I disagree. To those of us who are children of God, I think all of the Bible was given that we might read it understand it, and cause us to uh, edify us, make us grow, and love the Lord, and worship the Lord. And we don't want to fall into apathy. We want to love the Lord with our mind and pursue it. And so with that, we're going to get right in. Uh, Starting in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, uh, Daniel is talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He calls for people who can tell him the dream. Nobody can, obviously. And then Daniel prays to God, and God reveals to him what is going on in this dream. And in the dream is this great statue we're going to talk about. But this is a, an important Bible verse right before. Daniel says to the king, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So this prophecy is uh, really going to sweep throughout world history and uh, tell us what's coming in the latter days. He says, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And a couple verses down, we get right into it. Daniel is now speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the king of Babylon. Daniel's been taken captive to Babylon. And he says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, huge statue, stood before you, and its form was awesome. So it's huge. It's amazing. This image's head was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So you have it separated into five sections, this statue of a man, uh, and it's got a head, chest, arms, thighs, legs, uh, feet, toes, but five sections, all right? It then goes on to say, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then it goes on to say, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chafe from the summer threshing floors. You know, they just were completely crushed and the statue just obliterated. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, Daniel's gonna explain this prophecy a little more in the verses to come, but I wanna explain to you already, just give you a little precursor. Each successive layer of that statue, the gold, is a kingdom. The silver is a kingdom. The bronze is a kingdom. The iron is a kingdom. And finally, the iron and clay are a kingdom. That is the completed statue by itself of a man. It's all man-made kingdoms going from the first kingdom is Babylon, where Daniel is alive right now. King Nebuchadnezzar is literally the head of gold, right? And he's going to say that in a second. But it's going to sweep throughout world history all the way to where we are today. And that stone that strikes this image and destroys it, that is Jesus Christ, right? He is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the chief cornerstone. And this prophecy is going to lay the the foundation for both Daniel 7, 8, 9, and all of Revelation to explain that Jesus Christ, although he did come and die for us as a suffering servant, he's coming back as a conquering king. He's going to destroy all the kingdoms when he comes back, and his kingdom, his millennial thousand-year reign kingdom, is going to fill the whole earth, okay? Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so I want to give you some background, but now I want you to see it in scripture. So then it goes on to say, this is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. And then Daniel says very clearly to King Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. God is sovereign over it all. Even though King Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a wicked king, but it doesn't matter. God is sovereign over all of that, any king who has power. um, He's given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, okay? And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all you are this head of gold. So he says it very clearly on the statue. You're the head of gold. You're the king. Babylon is the kingdom of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, this, this silver kingdom is the Meadow Persian Empire. History reveals this to us. Okay. Meadow Persian Empire. Then another, a third kingdom after that of bronze. That's Greece. They were the bronze kingdom, right? Their their swords, their armor, things like that. But Greece was then the third kingdom. That is the the belly and thighs of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. So these are kingdoms ruling the earth, okay? So you have Babylon, Medo-Persia, and then Greece, all right? And the fourth kingdom this is really important the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron so the fourth kingdom is iron and we know that this is Rome Rome was the iron kingdom they they ruled the world they even had iron legions right their iron was like their main thing they had the iron legions of Rome okay so uh, the fourth kingdom is as strong as iron. In as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. So that's really important to understand. That kingdom, Rome, in 476 A.D., it did break in pieces. Rome essentially became what Europe is today. Rome's, you know, split. You had Constantinople. Rome broke in pieces. It was that fourth kingdom of iron, but it did break in pieces. Okay. Now, the fifth kingdom, the final world kingdom, does not exist yet. But let me explain. Daniel starts to reveal it a little bit. And then he says, Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of clay and partly of iron this is huge to understand the final world kingdom coming it's partly of iron the system of rome it's probably going to be a revived roman empire it seems overwhelmingly throughout many parts of the bible it's probably going to be centered around rome or europe Um, but the feet and the toes are the final world kingdom Uh, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron the kingdom shall be divided yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. This is when why many Bible prophecy experts believe uh, you know, the European Union is divided, but the strength of Rome will be in it at the time of the end, the revived Roman Empire, right? Uh, it says, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. So this final world kingdom is partly strong. There's the iron mixed in it, Rome mixed in it, but it's also partly fragile, right? Maybe it's in the end, those 10 toes, we're gonna find out they're the 10 horns of the beast coming in Daniel 7. And in Revelation, it lines up. They are the 10 rulers that give their authority to the Antichrist. And so those toes, those feet, those 10 rulers and the Antichrist among them, they're gonna rule the world, But that kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly fragile, which makes sense if you had the whole world combined. It's not all going to be strong. It says, as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay." So this final coming world kingdom, it's like no other kingdom. It's bigger, it's brutal, it's massive, but it's not gonna fully agree with one another. It's not gonna fully mix together, right? Which makes sense. It then goes on to say, in the days of these kings, remember the 10 toes, those line up with the 10 horns and the 10 rulers in Revelation, the number 10 is very important. These kings, in the days of the final kings, okay, the 10 kings that give their authority to the Antichrist, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's Jesus. Jesus is the God of heaven. In those days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, an eternal kingdom. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. The, the kingdom of Jesus coming, it's gonna just you know consume every nation on planet earth, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, that's really important, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, all the kingdoms. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So scripture records, this is going to happen. So just some background really quick and then we'll spring forward. The head of gold is the Babylonian empire. The chest and arms of silver was medo Persia. The stomach and thighs of bronze was the Greek empire. The legs of iron were Rome, okay? But the feet are partly of iron, Rome, and partly of clay, most people agree this is the coming revived Roman Empire, also known as Europe, right? Most of Europe, uh, you know, right now, if if Rome or, you know, Europe became a major military power, it would probably be united and you would have a revived, you know, holy Roman Empire. Um, and finally, the stone cut out without hands. We know that Jesus Christ is that stone. He's the stone that the builders rejected. He is the chief cornerstone. Remember, he's not part of the image. The image is a man, right? He's a literally a rock. Think of a meteor. And he comes and he strikes and destroys the image. The, the obvious uh, allegory there is when Jesus sets up a kingdom, he's coming back in judgment. He's destroying all man-made kingdoms, man-made kings. And he's going to set up set up his millennial reign of Jesus, the Messiah. And after that, take us on to the new heavens and new earth. And so just some really clear, important points there are clearly five total world kingdoms ruled by man. Five. The first four have already fallen. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. The final one, the fifth world kingdom, is to be destroyed by Jesus at his second coming. If you haven't watched my Day of the Lord video, please watch it. It it tells you all the, the events surrounding that day. But, This, and I have it highlighted, this is why Bible prophecy nuts, like me, (laughs) are obsessed with globalism. Globalism is a fascinating thing to me, both on a governmental side, you know, with the United Nations and with religions kind of linking up. That's fascinating to me. And here's why. Because I know there doesn't have to be 15, 20, 87, 54 million world kingdoms. Right. God has laid out the plan and where we're at in history. We're simply waiting for the last one before Christ. And this isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about this coming kingdom. This the reason I have so much confidence is I've read Daniel 7. I've gone through Isaiah and Zechariah and then obviously Revelation. You get more and more confident, you know, as you study the word but we're just waiting for the last one. So if tomorrow a a huge kingdom took over the world, that would be bad, but I would also be a little bit excited, right? (laughs) Uh, Because it's, you know, one final world kingdom is coming, and I know that Jesus destroys that one. It doesn't get destroyed by another empire. And so uh, one other important point, this is also a strong clue that anyone that is seriously passionate about globalism, about the world coming together in one, has probably not read nor believes the Bible. Why would you start the fifth kingdom? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. if you read the Bible you understand the Bible, you don't want all the worlds linking up not that it's necessarily bad it, it, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. I mean it's probably be better health care, better you know trade, all sorts of things would be good but the Bible clearly says that when they all join forces, you know when they say peace peace, we've achieved this world peace, then comes sudden destruction and they will not escape okay and so just i just want to wrap up talking about globalism a little bit this is why people get excited when when the bible talks the bible talks about rome and europe quite a bit in fact it's really amazing there's only two geographical locations on planet earth that if you read the bible and you take it literally you don't freak out about them but you're just like i need to keep an eye on these two locations one is jerusalem and Israel and the other is Rome. There's just too much written about Rome. You can read it in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 9 talks about it. Rome is the Gentile nation that killed Jesus. Revelation talks about a city on seven hills that also talks about Rome, uh, is speaking about Rome. It's always been known the city on seven hills, and so there's just so much about Rome in the Bible, and Jerusalem obviously, that I always tell Christians, hey, if you like reading the news, Uh, just pay attention to those two locations. It's pretty fascinating. And so in Rome, you have the European Union. They have a common, you know, currency. They have the United Nations. They are the global driving force behind globalism uh, from a a government and political side. And yet also in Rome, on the religious side, you have the Vatican. You have Pope Francis or any pope. They literally claim to be the spokesperson for Christ, okay? And yet when you see things from a religious side, like... Uh, the Pope Francis signing a document in 2019 with Grand Imam Al-Talib. You've got one as two billion Muslims, one's got one and a half billion Catholics. That's like half the world population right there or more, claiming they have a common God. And this is all in Rome, and you know, out of the Vatican or out of Europe. This is stuff that absolutely fascinates me. Now, you don't want to sensationalize it. We don't know when the end is. But the Bible is pretty clear. And I hope that you'll really tune in and watch uh, my Daniel 7 tape probably next week talking about the four beasts of Daniel. They clearly talk about Rome and then a coming revived Rome. And then finally, my mystery Babylon tape uh, about the city on seven hills. That also seems to be talking about Rome a little bit. And if all these big globalism and religious uh, syncing up together events weren't happening in Rome, I probably wouldn't be as, as confident as I am right now. But just looking at what's happening in the world, if you pay attention to it and your eyes are open, the Bible seems to point point towards Rome and Jerusalem. And if you follow them and take the Bible literally, it's absolutely fascinating. Hope you guys enjoyed this video. I hope you have a greater understanding of the statue of Daniel. Uh, May God bless you and keep you. Have a great day.